reluctantly crouched at the starting line. Engines pumping and thumping in time. The green light flashes, the flags go up. Churning and burning, they yearn for the cup. They deftly maneuver and muscle for rank. Fuel burning fast on an empty tank. Reckless and wild, they pour through the turns. Their prowess is potent and secretly stern. As they speed through the finish, the flags go down. The fans get up and they get out of town. The arena is empty, except for one man still driving and striving as fast as he can. The sun has gone down and the moon has come up. And long ago, somebody left with the cup. But he's driving and striving and hugging the turns and thinking of someone for whom he still burns. He's going the distance. He's going for speed. She's Welcome to Talking Giants presented by DraftKings. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, here with my co-host, Justin Pennick. We got ourselves a nice, full, packed, locked, loaded mailbag podcast coming up on a, on a Thursday ma- mailbag for the people. So get listen to it. And then you get the preview on Friday. Justin, how how you is? I'm great. Why why I so I saw that you were like what no one asked me why. I and I didn't read the replies. Why do you have that? So this is a Chicago Bears jersey. It's a Reebok Chicago Bears jersey with the number two. Did your dad order it for the twenty twenty two draft pick? Well, it's Reebok. So I predicted as a child, that the Giants would have the 2022 Bears first-round draft pick. And that's why, when I was a child, I ordered a number 22 Bears jersey with the name on the back. No, it's actually... Um, so, I played the game NFL Head Coach 09. And it's funny that we have a question about like what what we want like our our typical head coach to look like. I tried playing that like. game. It was too boring. Well, I was a little bit, I'm a little bit younger than you, so I can imagine, like, now I wouldn't be able to play it, but, you know, when I was 10, 9, 8, I loved that, loved that shit, played it all the time. And I was in I, middle school when I hated it. And I was, uh, I was or probably, no, maybe high school. No, you were high school, yeah, definitely high school, because I played it when I was in middle school. And, uh, I was a coach of Chicago Bears, and I led them to a couple Super Bowls, so, um, 22 was also a number that I had when I was a Madden-created player. For the 49ers. So I d- thought, why not put a 22 on a Bears jersey? You're a clown. <laughs> uh, speaking of clowns, before we get into this mailbag, this episode was brought to you by a few of our clowns. Andrea Baum. Wow, she's a she's in the world beater tier. How about that? Well, thank you, Andrea. And she's the bomb. You are the bomb. Bomb, bomb, ba bomb. We got Matt Hall 03. I think his regular name is just Matt Hall, no 03. DJ, we a truck. We a we track. We on track, DJ. Mac McNally, uh, Cocoa Beach High School, like Stephen McNally Field. Wow. Hunter Ford. He's actually crazy. He should be doing a little more than, you know, the $2 a month. You know, he, like, he owns half of, you know, Ford, but it is what it is. And then we got another world beater tour, Douglas Falk. And I played for the. I played for the Falcons in high school, and the announcer he would say "Go Falcons," and that's <laughs> it sounded like that. So <laughs> Douglas Falk, who are these clowns? Yeah, these clowns. Pat Re on Pat Rion. That's how you spell Patreon dot com slash Talking Giants. One G. It's not talking. It's talking. It's kind of like the brand. Patreon dot com slash Talking Giants. We have a lot of fun. A couple of people hanging out, watching the show tonight, hanging out. Um, chances are, we're going to talk to Kadarius Tony about them. We're not talking about Kadarius Tony on the show, so spoiler alert, because we're not the moral police. Patreon.com slash Talking Giants. We're going to hear us talk about controversial things. I don't even know why I brought it up. Um, all right, before we get into the mailbag, uh, COVID, Burton Burns got it. You know, the Giants running back coach. Um, supposedly, he, you know, uh, he, you know, according to Arch Stapleton, that he doesn't really have symptoms and he's all right. Although I will say we've kind of heard that with every single player or coach in the NFL that they don't have symptoms. And then it's like, all right, well, Hernandez misses half the season and we find out later, like, that's why. Um, but he's a, he's a coach, not a player. Yeah. Just hope he's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hope he's all right. And he's, he was like, if there was one person you'd be really worried about in the coaching staff, it would be Burton Burns. Like, yeah, he's very he's the, old. I think he's the oldest coach. So to hear that he's not like and and like he had feeling symptoms is was honestly a sigh of relief because yeah. there was not a single other coach on the staff where if they got it, you know, like 
yeah, I would be like, oh no. And he's you know, doing Zoom stuff too. Bad. So he's doing so Zoom gl- stuff. Glad he's all right. But Saquon Barkley and Xavier McKinney are also on the COVID list right now. Now I don't know if Saquon is going to be back this week or not, but I would expect McKinney's not going to be playing this week. And we'll we'll talk more about how they replace him in the preview pod tomorrow. But uh, that that is news. You have any like it's? I mean, they're on the COVID list. It's hard to really have like huge takeaways from it. Besides that, they are on the COVID list. Stinks. Um, you know, we've we've said our thoughts about. You know, getting COVID and, you know, how it stinks, you know, in the NFL and also, you know, how many people have gotten it over the last two years. So, you know, um, the thing with McKinney, though, um, I, I have a question for you. Um, late Bebner, does the replacement rhyme with those words? They can't. One, he's injured. They need to really cut him and add an actual safety as depth. And I think Adrian Colbert might be out there. We'll talk about it tomorrow, I'm sure. Ooh, we'll have favorite a favorite player. We'll, We'll have a bigger picture of what they're going to do. It. All right. Anything else before we kick it to the mailbag? No, it, was su- it sucks. I hope Saquon can play because he was. This was the week that he was supposed to be back. Like that Ian Rappaport, you know, around the NFL. I don't know who, you know, one of the NFL pages broke it. Um, that it was that this was the target week for him, and especially with the bye coming up next week, I would like to see Saquon Barkley out on the field. Like, dude, like I, I want to see you out there. So hope he can play. Yeah. All right, take it away, Steve. Mail time. Mail time. The mail's here. Come on. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. Thanks, Steve from Blue's Clues. Justin, let's get into the mail. Paul Nonis. First question at Paul Nonis. Is there a reasonable hope for Nick Gates and Shane Lemieux to come back and be future pieces for this team? Or is Andrew Thomas really the only future O-line option currently on the roster? Let's start with Nick Gates. I don't know, man. Like, I I don't know what that's going to happen with Nick Gates. And I'm not even saying, like, oh, it could be career-ending. Like, I don't know what he's going to be like when he comes back. You know, it's like yeah. a, it's a major injury now. He's done with surgeries, which is awesome. Um, But, like, we don't know what's going to happen with Nick Gates. So, at the very least, they have to add a center. You know, I'm not saying, you like, a first-round, second-round pick. But it's like you have to have a center in in place for – if if he you know if he's hurt whether that's you know signing re-signing Billy Price on the on the minimum um or or you know Matt Skura like there has to be someone in place I would prefer Matt Skura over Billy Price though to be honest with Lemieux I I'm gonna say yes but there needs to be a new starting guard next year like new not you know you know not Lemieux getting better and will like there needs to be at least one new starting guard and then I would bring back, I would like let Lemieux come back and battle with someone else, you know, and either Will Hernandez on another cheap deal, uh, another, you know, cheap veteran they bring in, but like have it be a, a real competition, not Zach Fulton, who's played a lot of games, but it really has no chance at starting. So I would give, I would, cause you know, you know, we said before the season, or at least I did, I was like, Hey, I got a lot more faith in Lemieux being a good offensive lineman than I do Matt Parrott. And he looked good in limited reps to start the season. Um, so yeah, I would let Lemieux would, I would let him come back and battle for a spot, but there, there absolutely has to be someone else there at guard. Who's a starter, whether it's a first round pick, second round pick, or someone in free agency, uh, there has to be another guard there. But out of all positions on the offensive line, there has to be a new right tackle. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going into next year with Matt Parrott. Like it's, he's, he could be the backup, you know, like I, yeah. I just, I, I, there has to be a new right. To, I, I think that should be priority number one this off season. And that should probably come through the draft. And there should be a lot. Supposedly there's, I mean, I, I, I haven't gotten deep in the draft stuff. We did our early uh, draft week. You know, I really liked Evan Neal and Kenyon green. Um, so, you know, it's, we're not going to get too deep into what we're going to do in the draft right now, but I just don't think Matt Parrott's going to prove to be the right tackle. Yeah. The Nick Gates situation really is a huge damper. And, you know, I, I, I'm i never going to doubt him, right? Because he's an undrafted guy coming out of Nebraska where he played tackle. And then he converted positions twice, you know, from guard to, to center. And he was even playing tackle in the preseason, too. Then he suffers a, a season-long ending injury in, in uh, what, 2018? 
Um, he suffers that injury, and then 2019 looks like the best lineman on the team in a jet versus the Jets. 2019, where that line was absolutely terrible, but he looked like a bright spot. And then 2020 changes positions, and you know I'm never going to doubt him. But at the same time, the Giants have to. If if I am the Giants, you have to kind of as of right now go into next year thinking that you're going to be without him, which really does a, stink. So a better answer to the question though is maybe not next year, but like. A year, the 2023, which offensive lineman on this team is like, all right, he's going to be, he should be here for that. Andrew Thomas is the only one. Yeah, correct. Correct. Yep. Next question. Tim Coffey. We suck. So time for conjecture. If we all had desired pieces to the offensive line, healthy and playing like we expected, Thomas Gates Lemieux, would we be five and three? No, we would not be five and three. Um, so Denver, Washington, the Rams, and Dallas—they don't win. Dallas, you can make an argument that maybe they get, but it's—it was a too much. It was too big of a point differential. Daniel Jones went out. You know, it was I'm not going to do the butter like they lost by a lot of points. So I'm going to say no. The Chiefs, I actually said I do think they would have. I agree. Like, Chiefs, I like. I, I feel confident that if they had Andrew Thomas, they would have won that game. Because there would have been a more aggressive offense versus a really bad defense where they should they should have been aggressive anyways, but that's just not how Jason Garrett's brain works. The Falcons is a maybe, but at the same time, it's like you know what, the Falcons are miss we're missing their cornerback one and their wide receiver two. So the Chiefs are re- is really the only game where I'm confident, man. Like, yeah, if we were healthy, we would have we would have been we would have won that game. Yeah, there were one, two, three. There's been four games out of eight. Games this season where Daniel Jones's pressure rate has been above 20%. Against Washington, 42%. And this is according to Pro Football Reference, by the way, which obviously we've said it over and over again. They um, they probably estimate pressures the way that it should be versus Pro Football Focus. They overestimate. So 42% of pressures um, against Washington. That's where Daniel Jones is holding on to the ball. That's ironically enough a game where they created a lot of explosive plays and deep passing plays down the field. Um, so if Daniel Jones is getting pressured because he's holding onto the ball, manipulating the pocket well enough to get rid of that ball, sure, fine. Um, the next game was against New Orleans, another win, 20.9% pressure rate. So that's fine. That's about average. 35% against Dallas. I mean, we all know, you know how bad that offensive line was that game. And then against the Chiefs, it was around 24%. Um, and I do think, out of, and it was 24%, when Daniel Jones was releasing the ball, two and a half seconds average time to throw. So that's bad. That's 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 pretty darn bad when Jones is getting rid of the ball so quick and the pressure rate is still above, you know, it's almost one out of every four passing attempts. Yeah, so Chiefs is really the only game where I feel confident if they had not even like Andrew Tom like just the presence of Andrew Thomas. Cause you know, last year they like right now they're not trusting Matt Parrot or Nate Solder, which is smart. But, like, last year, even through Andrew Thomas' struggles, like, they let him struggle, you know, and that's something I give the coaching. Like, they let him, like, they didn't try and, you know, overcompensate and give a ton of running back tight end help. Like, no, they, they let him get better through it, and Andrew yep. Thomas is a better player for that. With with Matt Parrott and Nate Solder, they're not really, like, the, which I agree with because I don't really have, con- I don't want, Nate Solder obviously just sucks. Matt Parrott could be something decent, but it's like, I don't have, like, I'm not, I'm not giving Matt Parrott that freedom to grow through those struggles. Right. Yeah, so I agree with you with the Chiefs. Next question. Glock Roach, what are the, what, what are the qualities that you look for in a head coach and how does Judge match up with those criteria? I think this is my favorite question and we could spend the most time on this if we want, even though it may not take the longest time. On the count of three, your number one thing. Oh, God. One, two, three. Offensive, Offensive play, play calling. caller. Yep, that's the number one. It's the number what? one. It's the most important thing in the NFL. Did we just the way become best friends? <laughs> yeah, um, it's the most important thing, like offensive play calling. That's why I'm out on Judge is because that's the that's the biggest issue um, with Joe Judge right now is the offensive play calling. Like, I have a, like so, and I put out a poll, and it, I feel like the poll answered it fairly correctly. Because, uh, you know, fourth down decisions, time management, and and then now offensive play calling is like that's kind of what is getting called out with Joe Judge. To me, offensive play calling is far and away that issue. You know, and the fourth down decisions, I disagree with strongly. And we have a question about that specifically. But, like, at the same time, Sean McVay is 
maybe the most conservative fourth down coach in the NFL right now. Yeah, Kyle Shanahan's always pretty conservative too. Yeah. But it's like offensive play calling is is the difference maker for me. And there's some other uh, things we want to talk about uh, in there. But the offense – and it's like, can, can I be honest? The time management stuff, it just doesn't move the needle for me, you know. Like, it's it, it should be criticized. But, like, that has no bearing on my opinion of Joe Judge, to it's, be real. It's a concern like, because the Giants don't score points and every single game they're in – it's a close game at the end, so the head coach needs to make those decisions. Like there, there's no such thing, and that's why the Carolina game was. But such do you think like that's a, like an incompetence thing, or like I, I just it to me that is like I feel like a lot of head coaches have that issue. Yeah, like Andy Reid was hated for that, you know, um, you know McCarthy. I mean, they're you know they're like there's there's a lot of like great coaches who when they get looked at it, it's like I feel like it's just kind of like a I feel like it's the easiest thing to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. especially with timeouts, right? Because it's like, oh, well, well, this is what I would do, and this is what I would do, and this is what I would do. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you said it best with comparing him to McVay, and you know, Shanahan's another guy that's gotten a lot of heat this year for not going for it on fourth down, even though you know the, the way you know the Forty ers are a different conversation too. I would still take Kyle Shanahan as, as a coach, neither here nor there. They have offenses that put up points at enough of a rate where you don't need to worry about whether they go for it on fourth down or not. Because you have confidence in those offenses that, hey, next time they're in the red zone, next time they're at midfield and it's a fourth and three from their own 47-yard line or from their own 50-yard line, next time that it's a fourth and one inside the 20-yard line, you know, you have confidence that they can get back there again. Versus the Giants, there's no telling next time that they're going to get a red zone opportunity and be one yard away from, you know, picking up a first down inside the five-yard line. Um. Next thing, and I've actually changed my opinion on this, and and it, there could be examples like Kevin Stefanski's stuck in his system, but it's like it works, especially with what Cleveland's personnel is. But I I really don't want a coach that's stuck in his system, you know. Like when the Giants, like the last head coaching hire, I kind of liked Wink Martindale, but the more I look back, at it, I was like, I don't think I would like a Wink Martindale type anymore, you know, where it's like, oh, he just blitzes, like he this is what he plays his type of defense. I think he is a personnel guy. Like, you know, James Betcher is a is a personnel guy. So, yeah. be, be, But essentially, being moldable with your scheme to your players. You know, now I, I get there's Kyle Shanahan's and Kevin Stefanski's who have these great offensive systems, but being being moldable and you're sitting, that's, you know, that's why I like Patrick Graham. We got some Patrick Graham questions later. Um, being moldable in your systems is is another one for me. Um What's I mean I gotta I I don't want to go through my whole list. Do you have like anything else on your list? No, that was going to be something that I talk about where talk about John Harbaugh right after they drafted Lamar Jackson. That I feel like they could have easily done something where it's like okay we're going to use Lamar Jackson conventionally. We're going to we're going to use Lamar Jackson in twenty twenty one. The way that they're using him this year, they could have easily said we're going to use him like that his rookie year, but they really kind of babied him along. Where you know what we are gonna we are gonna maximize his legs, we are we are gonna be a team that is gonna be a very very run heavy team and sparingly throw the ball and selectively throw the ball. It's almost like a reversal of roles from the Kansas City Chiefs, right? Where the Kansas City Chiefs they selectively run the ball, Baltimore Ravens in years past they selectively threw the ball, and that's because you have Lamar Jackson who was an unconventional type of quarterback, but they have developed him into a very, very good passer. I mean, Lamar Jackson is a very, very good passer. They are one of the league's most explosive offenses, passing offenses this year. That wasn't the case in the past. They would be maybe average middle of the pack. But not only do they have the running game, you know, with Lamar Jackson and whatever running back is starting for them that week, but now they've integrated that explosive passing game, and it's taken a long time. And that is what they've done, John Harbaugh, Greg Roman. They have formed their scheme and formed their identity based off of the personnel, not the opposite. They adjusted. Yeah. Next, my next one. And this is where I think Joe judge might be the best <clears throat> is how you connect with players. Like connect, like, you know, you can have like Joe judge has a very tough message, but I think Joe judge does a great job of getting that uh, two players where like a guy, like Matt Patricia was horrible at it, you know, lost guys early where, you know, right now we should here be hearing about players hating Joe Judge with his heart as like his training camps and stuff are, and you just don't. You know, after losing a lot of games and being one and seven last year, 
you haven't seen that type of step with a, a roster, especially on defense that has a lot of vets. So connecting with that, connecting with his staff. Now, maybe you can disagree with that with Garrett a little bit. Um, but that's another one for me. Being a people person, which I yeah. do agree with that, 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 that is in both with the but media. But not being which... too much of a people person. You know, yeah, yeah. Where you like, don't, don't wanna... be Nick Sirianni, where you're like, oh, I'm just one of the guys, and I wear, you know, Allen Iverson jersey. Like, don't you don't want to because then you'll become a pushover. That's you know, you'll be like Ben McAdoo, where he's like, I'm never gonna try and piss them off. And then whenever you do need to put your foot down, you get like, it just goes out of control. Yeah, I think there's a value to being a people person and a good communicator, and that comes with both your players and the media, and because. I do like. I think there's a value in Joe Judge's introductory press conference. Sorry, I do because when we believed in Joe Judge, we still used that introductory press conference as like, "Hey, these things he's following up on." So I do think that there is a value to how you can communicate your message to fans, and then also how, obviously, how you can communicate your message to the team itself. So, um, and then who he, who they learn from is like, I think that's important. O line coach, that's. <laughs> That's the big thing, yeah. too. Yeah, good online coach. Um, there's obviously other things that we missed up on. All right, next question. <clears throat> next question is coming from Milo at Milo Pond. Are we doomed to be in a cycle of hiring new GMs and then waiting a year and firing a head coach and then going through the cycle without ever actually starting fresh? I think that's what's going to happen, and that's what worries me. I feel like, you know, and I feel like it's going to be – there and. It's not necessarily that, oh, oh, Joe Judge is going to be back for another year, you know, um, because if if they get a different offensive play call, and there's a question later, but like if, if, if Joe Judge fired Jason Garrett, like he, I would be back on Joe Judge, not fully, but like, I'd be like, okay, you're in, like, I feel good about you, but it's just the idea. It's like, okay, well, they're going to hire GM for Joe Judge, you know, and it's like, what has Joe Judge done to deserve that? Yeah. You know, it's getting that's very. Where I uh, get bothered. It's getting very Adam Gase like. Yes, yes, yes. And frankly, I mean the the Jets. I understand they had a terrible, pitiful start too, but at least the Jets went seven and nine in a year where they fired their GM and they kept their head coach, and then the head coach was you know whispering on the golf course to Woody Johnson about what general manager he wanted. At least they went seven and nine that year. We went six and ten. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's that's like you know, what has Joe Judge done to deserve to pick his own GM? Yeah. Essentially, which is going um, to happen. Uh, I'm I'm fairly confident in it. I said it last show. Uh, just reading Ronan's article, um, which Jordan, we talked about that Jordan Ronan article where he just listed Lewis Riddick and then a bunch of other GM candidates. Reading that article, which didn't necessarily have a lot of insider info. I think it was a lot of just like opinion and kind of, you know, bringing names out there to attention and then just reflecting on it. I, I think Mara likes what judge has done and seeing the amount of control that I don't want to say control, but input level of input that he's been given during his first two off seasons. Um, I think he's staying. So. So the answer is yes. Yes. The answer is um, yes. Even though I think we both disagree with it. Oh uh, yeah, definitely. All right. Next question. Next question. And it's not to say that a new like it could it actually not next question. It could like Joe Judge isn't isn't like stupid. You know, I know it's we're all mad at him and it's like, oh but I think he's but you know, oh he's you know, Ben McAdoo's better than this. Like, I don't buy that crap. You know, I don't think Joe Judge is stupid, but I disagree with his offensive philosophy. That's the biggest thing and that's the most important thing to me, and that's why I want to fire. Yeah. If the if the offensive philosophy was changed, I would I would I would want Joe Judge to stay. Um now I hate the the cycle thing. So it's not to say that Joe, it couldn't work out with Joe Judge, but I do think Joe Judge needs to make some changes to his philosophy. Yep, I agree. Especially with offense. Next question. Sean McKay at SP McKay 31 At what point do we throw out analytics based on league-wide percentages slash historical data and look into the Giants' percentages of actually converting on fourth down slash in the red zone? Numbers say to go but they also tell us these situations are not a strength of the offense. You want to know why, Sean? That's his, that's his name? Yes. Because you're 100% wrong. Wrong. 
That is totally wrong. It's not based in reality. And I had this argument with Carl Bank, Mr. Carl Banks, um, where he said, you know, those analytics don't have a heartbeat. You know who does have a heartbeat? Daniel Jones. That's who has a heartbeat. And when I want to bring up a stat for you, some little numbers about Daniel Jones and the Giants on fourth down. On fourth down and five or less in the last two seasons, when the ball was put in Daniel Jones' hand, they converted eight out of ten of those. Now, that's a very low number, but they converted eight out of ten on fourth or five or less, which is when you would go for it on fourth down. You want to know what the two ones they didn't convert were? Fourth and one QB sneaks, where it's really not in Daniel Jones' hands. It's in the offensive line hand. So when it's actually like Daniel Jones make a decision to either run or pass, he's eight for eight. Eight for eight. Someone tell someone give that number. Someone give that heartbeat to of Daniel Jones to Joe Judge and Carl Banks and anyone who wants to disagree with that. Please. Because that QB gets it done on fourth down when he's given the opportunity. And there's others on fourth and like eights and stuff like that. But I kept it to the fourth or five or less because those are realistic chances to go for it on fourth down. Yeah, so reversal of roles here. Bobby's going to give you some really good numbers that like that is I I think that's the that's the answer. That's the rebuttal there. But I'll give you kind of my heartbeat sense of it. Sean, I'm willing to throw the analytics out the window right now. But at what point do you view what the Giants have done? In 2020 and 2021, in terms of their approach to scoring points, right? Because that's the name of the game, scoring points. At what point do you take that and take that approach at face value and say it's just not working? What it, game you, have they lost that because they because they went for it on fourth down? Yeah, uh, you know, and, and what game have they won? I would say besides the New Orleans game, besides the New Orleans game, where I think there was one like fourth and seven. Uh, with like seven minutes to go and they were down by two scores and Joe Judge punted and pinned New Orleans down. And I think that was like a C, C, that works moment. But what what was there? And, and and that wasn't even a decision like on on game day, Bobby. That wasn't even a decision on game day where I'm like, you know, you're down by two scores, seven minutes to go, and it's a fourth and seven at midfield. I'm not complaining to go for it. Um, I was. I, that was one where I wasn't. And I'm and I'm the big an, and I'm the big analytics guy. Um. But neither here nor there, at what point do you take their approach at face value and just say it's not working? It's not leading to wins. It's not leading to scoring points on a consistent basis. So yes, you can still say, oh, you know, these situations, they're not a they're not a plus the Giants are on are not at a plus plus strength, right? They're never at a point of strength on the offensive side of the ball. Never. Not one time. So that's why you have to be aggressive. Because like I said earlier, you don't know the next time you're going to be in a situation to possibly put up seven points if you're the Giants offense. If they were a high-powered offense, if they were an explosive play offense, you know what, maybe I'm okay with being a little bit more conservative. But because they're not, I don't know the next time they're going to be in that position. Hence why Joe Judge against the Cleveland Browns, which is a game where Joe Judge got killed for because of how aggressive he was on fourth down. He got killed that game. Why were you so aggressive? Why not just take the three points? Why not take the three points? think he knew that was the one game of his coaching career where he prioritized scoring seven over three points. And I liked it. I liked it. And Daniel Jones is eight for eight. Like, it's a lock when yeah. he goes from fourth down. And then now the next one that's fourth or five or less, he won't make it. But guess what, guys? Sometimes you just got to gamble. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has a week five offer every football fan should jump on. Nuke, week five. When is this ad from? Oh, I'm reading the, the October 5th ad. How about no, that? Don't do that. Read the November 4th ad or 3rd ad. Are you going to leave all this in? If you would want if you want me to, I certainly will. We'll see how we are with time at the end. I mean, you gambled by clicking on October thinking that you were in November and you failed. November, November. What is a what is that Willy Wonka? What is that Willy Wonka quote? You failed. You played yourself. I I've said that twice now. He didn't say you played yourself. No, he did he not w- say you played yourself. So old movie. You're mixing up um, DJ Collar with Willy Wonka. That happens. Probably not the first person to do it. Probably not the last. And this one's about the World Series. Well, guys, the Fall Classic was upon us. 
an official sports betting partner, the 2021 has a no-brainer offer you have to take a swing at. So just go and bet. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also get skin in the game this World Series with the same game. You can do the same game parlays on everything. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Simple. You guys understand it. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code JOHNBOY. Bet just $1 on any game and win $100 in free bets if either team gets a hit. That's the promo code JOHNBOY at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the 2021 World Series. That is over. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. One per customer. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler. Major League Baseball trademarks and copyright are used by the permission of Major League Baseball. Visit MLB.com. UFC fight this weekend. Bet on that. Yeah, bet on that. Next question. Next question. Casey at Casey Cy Brandy. If Garrett was fired and the offense improved, would that change your minds about what happens next offseason? Yeah, like we said before, with um, I'd feel better about Joe Judge. Um, but I just wanted to do that question so we could talk about Jason Garrett. And it's like I'm just, it's, you know, it's he should be fired. Like they went into that coaching that they went into this past game scared. They were scared of getting sacks. And you just can't you can't score point cons- points consistently scared of sacks. I don't care if your offensive line is bad. You know, like you know the Chargers had a bad offensive line last year and they scored points. You know, the Giants had, uh, uh, you know, a bad offensive line in 2019. So it's not to say that you're going to have some good offense. But you know what they did in 2019? Versus bad defenses, they put up a ton of points. You know, and the Giants just don't. You know, again, we are 24 games in. They haven't scored 30 points. And I brought the my stat that I do every week of plays that have uh, two routes of 15-plus yards or more and plays that have one or less. On the two or more, Daniel Jones was 6-7. of seven. That's a very low attempt, 86%. 112 yards, 16 yards per attempt. On the one or less, 16 to 25, 64%. 4.4 yards per attempt. He had 110, he had two less yards on 25 attempts compared to seven. Again, and if you do the more big stuff, the quick stuff works better. You know, it's just, it's so frustrating that this is where we're at. We're coaching, a, you you went up against a bad Chiefs defense and you put up 17 points. Yep. I don't care if the offensive line's bad. They were not the Panthers. They should not have been coached like they were the Panthers, and, and that's the way they were coached. Yeah. You know, the some of the games where it's been decent this year or when it's been good, it's been okay, fine, good, still done score over 30 points. But the games in which it's been bad, it's been bad, where I would put offensive play calling and game situation decision-making for the Chiefs, and then also this, especially for the offensive play calling and schematics and the game plan against the Falcons. I mean, those were two games, especially the Falcon game, where that is such a bad team. They were a bad defense, but that is a game that you should have won, and especially coming after after that Washington game, performing so well on the road, and then going home, performing so bad. And then this past week, going up against another bad defense, and you, know, you, you make them look like a top-10 unit, and that's just unacceptable. There is no taking advantage of, like, what a defense gives you for the Giants. Like, everything just has to go perfect. And if it doesn't go perfect, then it doesn't work. So, 24 games, still haven't scored 30 points. Sickening. Sickening. Pathetic. Pathetic. He should be fired during the bye week. He should be fired now, but the bye week is more yeah, doable. But he's not going to. He's going to make it the whole year. If he comes back next year, it will ruin the whole entire offseason for me. Yeah. There's not one thing the Giants keeping Dave Gettleman would would I would feel better about the offseason than Jason Garrett being back. I genuinely do believe that if Jason Garrett was not the coordinator and really even if somebody who was still conservative but just wasn't this bad. I think Judge's job would be saved. I think Gettleman's job would be saved. I really do I genuinely believe that. And I know that's not what everybody wants to hear. Gettleman does deserve a lot of blame. I mean, everybody deserves blame when, you know, over the last four years, you know, what it, you know, like we said, Gettleman two and six record is tied for his best record through eight games. Like that's bad. You know, everybody deserves blame for that. But I wholeheartedly believe 
that if Jason Garrett was not the offense coordinator, Joe Judge's job is safe. Everybody's job is safe. It's the offense coordinator is the second most important position in football after QB. And if your QB is not top five, it might be the most important. Fair. Fair. People don't like to hear it, but it's truth. That's why we talk about it over and over again, because we were the first to talk about it last year in 2020, and it's still a problem, so we're going to talk about it every week because it's the biggest problem of the team. Tom Lemmy at TomSU44. Thank you for the great work on the film with the O-line. Two questions. What does Daniel Jones need to show the rest of the season to confirm for you he is the franchise quarterback? I cut out the second question. Oh, you cut out the second question. Sorry, Tom. Good first question. I think we answered it. Um, Or we're going to answer it. Good first question. So, let's just talk about Daniel Jones with this question. Um, You know, it's it's the midway point of the season. Let's talk about Daniel Jones at midway of season three and where you feel about him. And I put out a tweet on um, after the game. And this is where I feel. I feel good and not great about Daniel Jones halfway through the season. There's been strides. Like, his pocket manipulation is really encouraging. You know, like, like, let's peel back the layers a little bit. He essentially had zero sacks on Monday night. You know, because the first sack was on an RPO where they were both covered. You know, and it was just, and he's just like, all right, I got to give up on the play. I can't hold on. Like, he just ran forward, you know, like it was in the red zone. You know, so, like, that's not a... That's not a real sack. And then the last two were on the final drive of the game where it's like he has to stand in there for that, like to make that work. You know, there's there's no there's no check down in those in those situations. Um, you know, so like when it when it can be controlled, he really had zero sacks. Like his pocket manipulation is beautiful. His completion percentage is up um, to sixty four point one percent yards per attempt, seven point one, seven touchdowns, which sucks. Like, it really does suck how low that touchdown number is. And we just talked about Jason Garrett. It's better than last year. Yeah. And then three real interceptions. You know, five in total, but three three real interceptions. So, yeah, I feel – I mean, I feel good. You know, you have some great games like the Saints game, the the Washington game, the Panthers game. The Panthers game was good. I don't want to call it great. But, like, good – like, games where you felt really good about them. Some average games like the – you know, Denver and Atlanta, we didn't score a lot of points, but it's like, come on, point to the Daniel Jones plays that, like, you know, were, were so brutal. And then the Rams game was bad. And then I do classify the Chiefs game as bad, even though it wasn't like, it was very much like, it's it's weighted by a couple of plays, but it's like, you know what, those plays matter, especially when they especially with the circ- Like, you got to know, you got to know what the circumstances are uh, at this point of being under Jason Garrett. You know, so I feel good about Daniel Jones right now. But here's what I'll say about evaluating him, because some people will say you can't evaluate you can't evaluate him, but it's just a difficult one, man. Like, and and you can't say he's great until it's great. Like, you can't say, oh, he's he is for sure the guy until he until for, he's for sure the guy. Things happen, which is basically winning a bunch of games, whether that's fair or not. Like, that's that's reality. Yeah, the only unfortunate thing for Daniel Jones is that he's just he's up against the clock. You know, we're, we're, yes. We're, yes, big time. We're in a league where you get four years, and the fifth year option, if you pay a guy, if they, you know, he, that salary goes up to some $20 million, $22, 24000000 million for that fifth year option. It's not the biggest deal in the world because it's a one year deal. I would, ex- if, if yeah, we were making the decision deal. right now, I would extend it. Yeah, it's, 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 the, it's not the biggest deal in the world because it's a one year deal. But after that, you know, then you're talking about, well, now you're talking about getting, you know, $20, $30 million a year for multiple years. And that's a much different story with guaranteed money tied to it and bonuses that are split up through throughout the life of the contract too. So that's a different story. And Daniel Jones is up against that clock. And right now, I, I don't know if I would give him that. I, I probably would lean no, simply because... Yeah, but you don't have to right now. I, no, ex- exactly. But, you know, gun, gun to my head, which is a fun exercise sometimes. I wish. Um, yeah, I wish a uh, gun to my head. It would be no right now. And I, and I would, you know, look, look to other alternatives, cheaper, other alternatives while we build up this roster, um, around that QB position. But luckily we don't have to make that decision and I want him to be here next year. I especially want him to be here next year for whatever changes are made. Cause there are going to be changes that are made, whether we like it or not. Um, Jones is either going to sink with them or he's going to thrive with them. So I want to see him given that I want to, wanted to get, get him that opportunity. 
The only way I don't want him here next year is if you get an opportunity at like an Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Wilson type. And I, even then, I won't. I'm not trading the entire farm for those guys. Yeah, and we also don't um, have enough cap space for that. Right. So he like it, I want him here next year. Yeah. Um, but this is where I feel like you know when it's like, well, why do you feel good about Daniel Jones? You know, they're two and five, and he has seven touchdowns. If you want to play the uh, the other side of it, is you know something we've talked about is like, does Daniel Jones need everything perfect around him? No. But right now he's over four, you know, bad offensive play caller, which is the the big the biggest issue of all. F- bad offensive line, like from entire left to right, bad wide receiver core because of injuries, you know, offensive line due to injuries too, and then no running game, which we usually kind of forget. But it's like the running game does matter, but he has no running game, like a pitiful running game. When Daniel Jones had one and a half of the four, which was a good wide receiver core, you know, like the Saints game. The Washington game, he had a good wide receiver core. If you got if you got Kenny Galladay and, and Shep on a team, or Kenny Galladay and Kid Ayers Tony on on a roster, that's a good wide receiver core. I agree. That's a, like like that's a good wide receiver. So he had a good wide receiver core, and then he had the left tackle good. Left guard through right tackle were bad, but the left tackle was good. So one when he was had one and a half out of four, he was balling. Like you know the Washington game, balling. The Saints game, balling. You know not making mistakes. Going through his progressions. You know, I know people do the one read thing, but I feel like that's so overblown because a lot of the offense is one read stuff. Now, yeah, the and Chiefs we, interception we've done the un- we, we did the numbers over the offseason when the PFF puts out the QB annual, which is really, really good. Um, I think like some 67 to 70% of all NFL passes are thrown on the first read. Um, 69% are, 70% of DJs were. Got it. So yeah, he's like right, he's right, right there, you know, and and the offense is very much predicated on that. Now, now, the, like the interception against the Chiefs can't have it. that was like he's staring the receiver down. That's unacceptable type stuff. But it's like we hadn't really seen that stuff. But if you go through the the film this year, and I do it in the film, like he goes through his progressions. That Chiefs one was just that one was was really bad. Like the Rams interceptions were bad, but it's like all right, this is where he got baited into it, you know. The Chiefs one was just like this is just this is this is way this is too stupid to be like be like explained away. Um, so so but when he has one and a half of the four, like he's been good, you know. And I don't want and and sorry, but QB wins are not a QB stat, you know. And if you want to look at the perfect person for that, is look at Matt Stafford, consistently bad with with Detroit, like consistently bad. You know, a couple good years in there, but even then, like they lost first round of the playoffs, and he had some good. He had there was a a year or so where he had a really good roster around him. Had Calvin Johnson, but never could win. You know, and look at him going from last year, the last few years with Detroit being like not a young QB, but like a vet QB, and now he's probably now he has like the best team in the NFL right now. Yeah, playing in a, playing at an MVP level. So I actually was listening to Dan or Dan Orvlosky. He went on the the Giants guys show, and he actually said something that was very much in contradiction to what a lot of people say about the quarterback position, which I kind of disagreed with Dan, but Dan also played the position, and he played on very bad teams also as well. Um, Dan said that the quarterback position is one that is predicated and centered around being dependent on everybody else. And Dan's a respected guy from ESPN. You know, had had a little bit of a bad eval on Daniel Jones at the at the start, but respected guy from ESPN that I feel is a pretty smart guy. Um, and when he said out just flat out that quarterback is the most dependent position on everybody else being good around him, you know, that's something that stuck out to me. So there you go. Offensive play caller is the biggest thing we talked about it like twenty times this episode. Yeah, like I could deal with bad players. I can't deal with an offense bad uh, with a hor- not even a horrible like like bad like the worst in the league offensive play. Who Orvalski has said as well, and I agree with. Yeah. Um. So, guy didn't call plays for ten years. We hired him as offensive coordinator. We're stupid. All right. Next question. Saint at X Saint. Should the Giants sign Odell with the banged up wide receiver core they have if he were to become a free agent? Back in the news, <laughs> Odell. Um, I'm not going to do a whole Odell rant. If you want, if you want to hear like my real, genuine thoughts on Odell, search on YouTube. We clipped it from a podcast last year. I think just like search "Talking Giants Bobby OBJ," and it should be on there. Um, I shared it with Talking Giants Patreon. 
a couple weeks ago. It's kind of funny that like the last few years, like Eli can do no wrong. Everything else is fault people. And now it's like the same thing's happening with Odell. Man, this is really, this is worth way worse than it was with us in New York. Cleveland just doesn't, they're like, dude, stay away. Like this was obviously like some plan coordinated stuff with his dad. Even LeBron James is crazy as that sounds, but no. But I will say that if Odell line, winds up with a good playoff team on like a very like short-term deal, not a long-term deal, you know, where it's like, all right, we can move on if it doesn't work out. I do think he'll add like to like he could add, I think he would add a lot to the Chiefs. Yeah. But not us. No, not us. No, I would I would no. it would be I would I would I would be pissed off at that decision. No, Giants don't have the I don't cap like space. Odell. I don't want Odell back. <laughs> Number one, Giants don't have the cap space. Um, why would Odell want to come back here? Why would Dave Gettleman want him back here? So, no. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. Uh, Baker's not having a, a good year where, honestly, uh, this isn't even a me being a Giants homer bias take. Um, I'm kind of more confident in Daniel Jones right now than I am in Baker Mayfield. Um, now, Daniel Jones, I don't know if he fits that Brown system necessarily, but... Baker's a guy that's supposed to fit that Brown system by getting him rolled out into space and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I'm kind of over it. Odell's not a giant. He's not going to be a giant. He hasn't been a giant for a long time. And he's not good. That's that's also, he's not good. People are going to point out that he gets missed on some open passes. He was a locker room problem. He did some, he was emotional, did some bad stuff, whatever, whatever, whatever. You know, the interview, you could debate it till the cows come home when you're good. But when you're bad, there's no debating it. So I, I don't understand why... But no teammate has ever said anything bad about Odell. I mean, yeah, or the Browns basically saying to stay home, we don't want you. Yeah, but no one's publicly bashed him. Anyways, I, I don't like Odell. I could clear. care. I could. I could just care less. Um, I don't want to spend no. my energy on that. I just. I'm. I, I was right. All right. Next question. Bobby was right. Hashtag. But what we do need to talk about first, Bobby Skinner. We need to talk about the Candlewick Diner. Candlewick Diner, East Rutherford, New Jersey, just five minutes away from MetLife Stadium. Full-service bar, in-house bakery, free delivery. So guess what? If you're looking to get Uber Eats, DoorDash, you don't need to do that. If you live around the East Rutherford area, don't make them deliver really far. But if you live around the East Rutherford area, they offer free delivery, which is awesome. The extensive menu from breakfast to burgers to steaks to pasta, favorite thing on the menu it's unconventional, but I like it. Pulled pork, eggs, Benedict. I'm a sucker for hollandaise sauce. They make like some nice home fries. Slice the potatoes really thin. You put a little salt on it. Put a little drizzle of ketchup. Mwah. Chef's kiss. The diner is frequently attended by numerous Giants players and will be celebrating their 52nd year in East Rutherford, October 26th. That has already passed, but you can still celebrate their 52nd anniversary and run into some Giants. It's a chance that it could happen. Raymond Johnson. Likes to go there, Rodarius Williams. Guarantee you, he's he's getting a he's getting a rehab meal. Jabril Peppers, he's getting a rehab meal there. Those guys are they like to go. A lot of the rookies like to go. So Quincy Roche had a really good game this past week. He actually attended the diner twice within the last month. I think in October, Um, Manny, you know, shot me some DMs. It's like, hey, Giants players here, Giants players here. So I got those updates. I'm like, oh, that's really really cool. So if you want to eat and dine. Where the Giants go, go to the Candlewick Diner by MetLife Stadium. And I also want you to go to their Instagram page at Candlewick Diner. That is Candle, common spelling, W-Y-C-K, Diner. For great specials, CandlewickDiner.com for online ordering and menu. And next time you're at MetLife, do what the Giants do and head over to the Candlewick Diner. Love Candle. I can't wait to go up there and, and grab a bite to eat Yeah. Uh, when I'm up there. Um, next question. Next question. It's coming from Research... Rick, NYG fan in Charlotte. Based on what we've seen transpire from the end of last season to now, what do you think Patrick Graham visualized for the 2021 defense? What he requested from the coach and GM on desired personnel types? And finally, what's gone wrong and right since the beginning of the season? So let's just start off with what do you think Patrick Graham visualized for this 2021 defense? What do we think? Basically playing a lot more man coverage and doing the two, the two high safety stuff like that. That was what it, it was. You know, the issue, the biggest issue with that has been the lack of pass rush, like with 
you know, there was zero, you know, it's gotten a little better the past couple weeks, but there was just zero pass rush from your edge groups. Um, you know, and it's like, you can't play man coverage with zero pass rush. You, you got to at least have some pass rush and they weren't able to do that. And then doing the too high stuff. And then what went wrong with that, what I think is the misuse of Jabril Peppers. Like that is, that is my biggest gripe with Patrick Graham through the first half seasons. Like you miss, you misuse Jabril Peppers. He should have had him down in the box as an extra defender playing the flats in coverage. And you kind of just weaned him out a little bit. And when you did bring him in, he wasn't playing that role. You, you didn't use him as a pass rusher. You didn't use him as like a disruptor in the gaps, playing the alley as well. Um, so misusing Jabril Peppers. Uh, but so but he's gotten better. Like you're getting back to some more zone stuff. Now playing two QBs and Donald and Mahomes who are very downfield oriented and might and both have bad footwork. Um, you can get away with some of that zone stuff. Uh, so we'll see how they do versus Derek Carr, who could make, you know, Derek Carr could carve this defense up next week, and I won't be surprised. Yeah. Um, you know, so basically it's like, I, I you know, it's, I, I'm disappointed in where the defense is at overall, but I still do think Patrick Graham is, is a very smart coach and is going to be a good defensive coach in the league for a long time. Yeah, I would really like to know, have a time machine, go back in time, be a fly on the wall inside the building, what the Giants thought of their edge room and what they thought of their unit as a pass rushing unit. I was never sold on O'Shane. I was never sold on O'Shane. But did they really think that Lorenzo Carter, Aziz has been, I think, even more than what we've thought. Um, did they think that Dexter Lawrence was going to take much more of a jump in terms of a pass rusher? Leonard Williams is doing, you know, he's not getting the QB hits and the pressures that he was last year, but... He's getting the sacks. He's getting the sacks at the same rate. Um, he's had a really good last three games. I think the last three games he's had at least a sack. So um, what did they think of this edge room? Because really, the, I, I think Patrick Graham wanted to run a defense of a high blitz rate. You know, week one, that blitz rate was like 40%. Right now, the Giants' blitz rate is down to 24.5% on the season, and that is around mid-tier. So I think Patrick Graham, to start the season, wanted to be a lot more blitz-heavy, wanted to mix his 2019 Miami defense, where they blitzed a lot, played man coverage, but played single high, but they wanted to blit- They wanted to mix in the Brandon Staley approach of playing too high. Playing too high to prevent the explosive play and playing man coverage on the front end. Preventing the explosive play would have married the things that he did well in 2020 along with the things that he wanted to do in 2019 with being an aggressive defense um, and getting after it you know, with the quarterback and having the secondary and having the belief in the secondary that they can do it. And none of those things really played out. <laughs> played out like he wanted to, um, largely because I think it starts with if you blitz those guys and they don't get home, teams are going to run play action, teams are going to run those crossing routes, especially in the intermediate part of the field. You're going to get beat with yards after the catch and – that's kind of like what happened. But now, you know, like Bobby said, I think he's he's gotten back to marrying what he did in 2020 with playing more zone while also playing the two high stuff. And I think he's done that pretty well the last two weeks. The Giants right now, they've made a jump in DVOA and defense, defense adjusted value over average. So the Giants have made a jump to 14th in the National Football League in uh, terms of being uh, 14th most efficient defense, which is pretty, pretty good. You know, two weeks ago, they were like in the mid-20s. Trying to think of where I want to go with this. Um, but them not getting that edge room and not and not evaluating, because I know Research Rick is is really big on right now just how the Giants have evaluated themselves over the offseason and certain personnel decisions and not coaching these guys up. Go ahead. That's what I wanted to hit on. I love the Adore Jackson signing. You know, like I love that type of signing. But here's something they should change with their approach, personnel-wise. Stop looking for types with outside linebacker edge. Look for pass rushers. Yeah. Pass, like, like I was so scared they were going to take Aziz Ojolar in the first round. And I know like he's good value at 50. But I was so scared they were going to take Aziz Ojolar in the first round because edge was a huge need. And he he's the best. he was the best like, like scheme fit. You know, it's like, so that would be my, and, you know, we've seen it with the way they treated, they used Marcus Golden. Stop looking for, you know, if, if you can get your type, that's awesome. You know, if you're looking for like bargain free agency signings, like a Kyler Fackrell, like, yeah, get get your type if you're going for bargain free agency signings. But like the draft, when you approach the drafts, look for the best pass rusher. Like stop looking for like 
you know, don't pass up on Von Miller for, um, you know, whoever. Like, like, look for real deal pass rushers. You guys are going to turn into really good pass rushers. Don't look. Stop looking for types. Yeah, yeah. That was a that was a critique that I had a while back too. And you know, we you have to you almost because you know the Giants are going to do it. We almost like changed our expectations about, well, we should expect this from the edge spot in terms of the Giants going out and getting this guy. Even though this may be a better football player, we know the Giants would never sign that guy because he can't drop back into coverage. And ironically enough, O'Shane Zimenez can't drop back into coverage, yet he's a guy that kind of rely on. Quincy Roche should definitely start over him. Yeah, I've liked Quincy Roche. He's never going to be some great pass rusher, but he's played well. He's done all right. He's had a good, a good amount of some good plays. He uses his hands really well, um, and he's just got he's got a really high motor too. I like Quincy. Yeah. All right. Next question. Bull Bitler. Is there any realistic expectation we could see Graham and Jones be retained? In other words, could another GM come in and want another head coach, but then force Graham and Jones onto the new coach, or is that something that just doesn't happen? I don't think it would happen. If if Joe if Judge goes, Grant's probably going to. I mean, they're extremely tight, and if they're bringing in a new head coach, I don't think they're going to be like, all right, but keep this defense coordinator. I think the only time that it happened was Kellen Moore. Can't remember the last time it happened. Yeah, and that offense was balling, you know, yeah. and that's and that's Jerry, you know, as much as we talk about Mar- like that's Jerry Jones too. Um, so yeah, I, I don't see that happening. Next question. West. Let's go quick through these last two. West Locke at Wesley Westigols. How would you rank the following reasons the season is a failure, excluding Dave Gettleman's roster construction, which I would put that kind of close to number one. So how would we rank the following reasons as a failure for the season? Skill position, skill player injury slash play, offensive line injury slash play, the offensive philosophy, in-game situation slash play calling, Lack of pass rush and Daniel Jones. <clears throat> so, is it wrong to maybe... I was thinking about maybe picking pass rush at first because at least like we weren't expecting the offense to be good, but we were expecting the defense to be better than what it was. Can, or, am I being, or am I getting too cute with that? Should I just say offensive philosophy, number one? No, I my f- top three, I could alternate one, two, or three, and I would be okay with it. Anybody could alternate between one, two, and three, and I'd be like, yeah, I agree with it. Offensive philosophy is one for me. I'm not going to get cute with it. It's what it's what I truly believe. I have offensive line injuries as one because when you you saw when Andrew Thomas was bowling that the offense was okay. And okay, then I, have, I had I had offensive line injury at three, and then pass rush at two. I have offensive philosophy number two and lack of pass rush number three. But like I said, if you I alternate any three of them, one, two, or three, and I'm not going to disagree with you. Four, I got skill injury. Four, I have in-game situational and decision stuff because I do think that if, you, if you're if you a little bit more aggressive in some in-game stuff, even without those skill position players, I think you may come out with a win. I actually have that last. You have that last? So I have skill position injuries number five. So you have Daniel, Daniel Jones. You have Daniel Jones five? I have Daniel Jones six. I think if Daniel Jones doesn't throw that interception versus the Chiefs, that for sure they win that game. I think if we are more aggressive on fourth downs on two separate occasions and the coaching allows Daniel Jones to overcome those mistakes, then I think we definitely win that game. I just don't want to put Daniel Jones last, and it's just like, well, every it's you guys think everything's wrong with Daniel Jones. Well, I'm not forcing those assholes to Change I how know. I think. I know. But at the same time, it's like, I think if all those other things are better, that the situational stuff's not that big of a deal. But I guess it's not. So, all right, you're right. Last question. Ultra depressed Giants fan at Big Blue NYG News. What is the best way we as fans can stick it to Mara? Uh, finish the question. Not buy tickets. Not buy nope. merch. Nope. We need something to kick him in the ass and realize Burn. this is not okay. Down MetLife Stadium. That's the answer. It's the, only, it's the only option. Sometimes violence is the only answer. I'll be there. That's an episode. We'll be back Friday. Previewing the Raiders game. See you then. We appreciate you guys. Until then, let's go big blue. <laughs>